Thank you for supporting the Ministry of Victory Outreach International. We pray this message challenges, ignites faith, and that God would fan the flame that will produce a harvest of souls throughout the world. Standing to the uh, book 2 Kings, uh, chapter 5 of 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 5. We're going to continue with part two of the message that I preached two weeks ago. Last week I wasn't able to continue because we had a, a special speaker that came and was with us all Sunday, Evangelist Don Summers. But we began a message uh, two weeks ago out of 2 Kings chapter 5. How many of you remember? How many don't remember? That's about being honest. How many were not here? All right, well, you're here today. Amen. I'm going to give you a review anyway, just a fast review, and then we'll get into the part, part two that I want to deal with this morning. Amen. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this day. We thank you for what you've done thus far in the two services. We thank you what you're going to be doing, you're going to do in this service, and what you've done thus far in this service as well. We thank you for the hearts of the people that are, going, that are open to receive and the minds that are open to receive your word. And I just pray your blessing upon each person as they receive your word. Let it find lodging within their hearts. Let us walk out of this place, not the same, but that our lives have been changed. And Lord, as we come into a place of decision this morning that we could make, let us make the right choice. Let us make the decision that will count for eternity. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I would like to, for the next few minutes, I would like to have your undivided attention. And let's minimize any moving around. Everybody stay as still as possible so that no one would be distracted from hearing God's word. We need concentration. How many know we need concentration when we're meditating upon the Word of God? That's what I want to ask you to do this morning. I believe God wants to speak to us in a very definite way. Now, the last time that we were together, we spoke about the, the story that we have here recorded in chapter 5 of 2 Kings. There's a story of Naaman, Naaman the leper. And remember that we brought out his healing, how he got healed. And it was a miraculous healing that took place in his life. But at the same time, we looked at the process from the very beginning, how he received word of, of the possibility of his healing. And then also the different changes that he went through before he actually received the healing of his body. And we also pulled out from the portion here in 2 Kings chapter 5, we pulled out principles. And I've told you over and over again how the Word of God, there are principles in the Word of God, and we could apply them to our lives today. This is what's so powerful about the Word of God, that we read portions here. We see how God worked in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And he's the same God that is still at work today. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, 
and forever. He changes not. And here in chapter 5 of 2 Kings, we're able to pull out some principles, and we pulled them out the last time we, that we were together. I want to just give you a review of the principles that we pulled out of chapter 5 of the healing that took place in Naaman's life. Now, the topic that we dealt with was the topic of obedience. And we spoke about how if you're obedient, there's always rewards in being obedient. God will always bless obedient people. And the opposite is true. When you're disobedient, then there's also negative results. But thank God that here we find some real positive results that took place. The principles that we pulled out was number one. We, principle number one is that our needs are oftentimes God's opportunity. Now you remember that Naaman, he was a leper. He had a real problem. I mean, he had everything else going for him, but he had one big problem that spoiled everything. Even though he had prestige, even though he had prosperity, even though he had position, even though he had prominence, nevertheless, the Bible says he was a great man of valor. He was a hero, but he had a problem. He was a leper. That was a big problem. That type of sickness we spoke about was a sickness where they would isolate people and, and you would become, uh, you would actually become someone that would be totally isolated and totally separated from population. And we mentioned how many times our needs are oftentimes God's opportunity. In other words, man's extremity is God's opportunity. We spoke about how God permits sometimes us to get in situations that seem impossible. And when these situations, they overwhelm us, that's the only time sometimes that we have a tendency to call out on God. And the greater the problem, the greater the miracle that God wants to perform in our lives. The greater the miracles that he's able to perform. So God, our needs are oftentimes God's opportunity, number one. And if it gets a little warm over here, make sure that those air conditionings are blessed. Amen. Number two. The second principle, obedience may often require what seems to be impractical and also unreasonable. How do you remember that? What was the unreasonable thing that Naaman was asked to do? Tell me. He was to go where? You know you forgot already? Remember, they told him, go dip yourself in the Jordan River. How many times? Three times? How many times? Seven times. In other words, jump in the lake. You want to get healed, go jump in the lake. And dip yourself seven times. You know, not six, not five, but, you know, one, two, three, seven times. And he came and he said, oh, man, he had a preconceived idea of how God was supposed to move. See, this is what we have many times, preconceived idea of how God's going to move. And he said, surely I felt that you're going to do this and do the other. But man, jump in the, in the river and aren't the rivers of Damascus better than all the rivers of Israel? I didn't come this far to do that. So it was something that was unpractical. And, uh, and many times God would have us to do that. And, and God doesn't work the way we expect him to work at times. God works the way he wants to work. He is God. 
and what he requires from us is to be obedient. So many times what God will ask us to do, obedience may oftentimes require what seems to be impractical and also unreasonable. Principle number three that we spoke about. Failure to obey God may cost us the very thing we desire the most. And we talk, spoke about, he almost blew it. You know why? Because he was going to disobey. He caught an attitude. I'm not going to jump in that river. It's crazy. I didn't come all the way over here to jump in that river. There are better rivers in Damascus. And he was going to be disobedient. And by being disobedient, he would, it would have cost him the very thing he desired the most. And that was a healing. That was principle number three. Principle number four, we mentioned that right counsel always encourages obedience to God. How did he get the right counsel? Thank God for someone that was alongside of him. Instead of somebody uh, fanning his, uh, his, pr his pride and his wrath and, you know, his anger, someone that was alongside said, Calmate. Those of you who don't know Spanish, you know, take it easy, man. Calm down, you know. You know, you know the dude is just asking you to jump in the river, man. You come all this way, you got a problem. You know, you, you need a healing, man. You, you look bad. Jump in the river, man. You got everything to gain and nothing to lose. Doesn't that make sense? Then name and look is just, you know what, man? You're talking sense. And he went ahead and did, he received good counsel. And we spoke about the counsel, very, very important. That's why you got to be careful who you hang around with. Be careful. We spoke about who you hang around with. People that you hang around with that are always negative and, you know, giving you the wrong counsel could actually destroy you. So the right counsel always encourages obedience to God. Number five, the reward of your obedience will strengthen and encourage your faith and the faith of others. Not only do we find that his faith, he was encouraged. It, it, obedience always encourages faith. He was able to move out in faith. His faith was built. But at the same time, also his faith also influenced the lives of others as well. There was a positive influence from his life to other people because of his obedience to God. He had a positive influence and had a positive influence. His testimony going back and being healed was just, uh, that was, that was uh, good in itself. I mean, just his testimony alone when he went back healed was a testimony of the power of God. All because he was obedient and he put his trust and faith in God. Amen? Okay, we learned that. He was healed. Wasn't it a good ending? Wasn't it? He got healed. And we all got excited. He walked out healed. And he was so happy. He went back healed. But I want to point out to you now, the portion that we're dealing with this morning, we're going to continue dealing with that chapter, but there's much more that that chapter tells us. Now, it doesn't stop in Naaman's healing, but it goes on. It brings the positive, and then also it brings the reality of what happens when somebody is disobedient. Now, lately, you don't hear messages like the one I'm going to preach this morning. Usually, we like to hear messages about goosebumps. And that's what we've been doing lately, haven't we? I've been encouraging positive messages. 
pull it down, right? Let's pull the blessing down. And we've been, ooh, pull the blessing down. You like that. You like to do that. Pull the blessing down. How do I get blessed? Woo! How do I prosper? Woo! How do I get healed? Woo! Huh? And you guys go, I see some of you going, woo! You know, pulling two hands down. But this morning, I want to talk to you about some sober stuff. I want to talk to you about some things that are in the Word of God. In the Word of God. And it's a story of the man that I want to be speaking about right now. Now, okay, he got healed. Now, notice what it says over here in chapter 5, verse 20. In chapter 5, verse 20, the story continues. And this is part two of what we dealt with. And it speaks about a man. It talks about a, a man by the name of Gehazi. It says in verse 20, But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, Behold, my master has spared Naaman the Syrian, in not receiving at his hand that which he brought. But as the Lord liveth, I will run after him and take what some of him, somewhat of him. In other words, remember that he brought all kinds of gold and everything, and then he went to the prophet. The prophet says, I don't want that. You go back, and I want you to know that it was by grace. You cannot buy what God has given to you. It's not for sale. Is through God's grace. And then his servant, or if you want to call it, his associate pastor. In fact, some of the guys, the associate pastors, would get nervous over here when I was. One of them was saying, people were looking at him, and he was turning around, and people were. <laughs> All of a sudden, Gehazi followed after Naaman, it says in verse 21. And when Naaman saw him running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him, and he said, it's all well. And in verse 22, he said, all is well. My master has sent me, saying, behold, even now there be come to me from out Ephraim two young men of the sons of the, of the, of the young men of the sons of the prophets. Give them, I pray thee, a talent of silver, two changes of garments. And Naaman said, be content, take two talents. And he urged him and bound two talents of silver and two bags and two changes of, of garments and laid them upon two of the servants and they went, with, we went before him. Now you notice what he did. This man actually lied. He went ahead and he's with Elisha, Elisha's servant, Elisha's associate. When he sees Elisha, doesn't receive money from Naaman and he sends Naaman away, taking his money back with him. He said, man, I'm going to go after him and get me a piece of that money. And he went after him. And then he lies to him, and he tells him that the prophet had sent him and that there were some other men, ministers that came, and, and he needed to have some money to take care of these ministers and feed them. So he went ahead and he took some of the money. And then it says over here, and Naaman, you know, graciously, he's, uh, he's grateful for what has taken place in his life. He actually gives whatever he wants. And then it says in verse 24, And when he came to the, to the tower or to his house, he took them from their hand, and then he bestowed them. He took them to the house, and he let the men go. So he took the money, and he took it to his house, and he hid it. Okay? And then it says in verse 25, But when he went in, then he goes back to the prophet, and he thinks the prophet doesn't know anything what's going on. And in verse 25 it says, But when he went in, he stood before his master, or prophet Elisha, and Elisha said unto him, 
where do you come from, Gehazi? And Gehazi said, thy servant went nowhere. Another lie. I didn't go nowhere. I'm you know, just hanging out. You see, I didn't go nowhere. And then in verse 26, it says, and he said unto him, went not my heart with you when the man turned again from his chariot to meet thee? Is it time to receive money and to receive garments and olive yards and vineyards and sheep and oxen and manservants and maidservants? And then he says to him, Therefore the leprosy therefore of Naaman shall cleave unto thee and unto thy seed forever. And he went out from his presence a leper as white as snow. Now I don't know about you, man, but that's some scary, scary stuff. Here is a man that receives the blessing from God, Naaman. He receives the healing, and his blessing turned out to be a curse in Gehazi's life because of Gehazi's disobedience. Naaman's obedience brought about healing in his life, while Gehazi's disobedience brought about the very sickness that Naaman was delivered from because of his disobedience. Now, let's pause for a moment. I want you to get your attention. It's pretty hard, isn't it, to understand how could a man do that? Especially when you think about it. Think about it for a moment. A man that is a, a, an associate and, and walking close to Elisha, the prophet of God. In, in other words, there was a lot of other young men that were being groomed for ministry. They used to have what they call the school of the prophets. A lot of young men that were being groomed for ministry. And yet, Elisha shows Gehazi to separate him and chose him to be alongside of him and chose him to be his disciple. In other words, Gehazi was to be the success, successor of Elisha. Just like uh, Elisha took over Elijah, the prophet's place, well, Gehazi was in line also to take over the ministry of Elisha. So this man, he must have had some good qualities. I mean, he's not just going to choose anybody. This man must have had tremendous potential. So this morning, this is a story of a man with tremendous potential, but all of a sudden, the end of it is a tragic ending of a story that had tremendous potential of being a powerful, powerful, mighty man of God. Isn't that what we see today when you pick up the newspapers? Huh? Just think about Jimmy Swagger. Jimmy Swagger, what a shame, isn't it? What a tragedy. And I used to sit down and get blessed by a singer. That man just opened up his mouth and started playing on that piano, and I just sit there, and oh, tears would come to my face. I would get so blessed. Everybody would get blessed. And all of a sudden, it seemingly, it seemed like overnight, all of a sudden, he had a great fall. And then we look in the newspapers, other so-called men of God that we hold highly and esteem them highly and overnight they're they're up here and the very next day overnight boom tremendous tragedy failure and great fall and many times we say in our minds how in the world could that happen well i want to tell you this this morning i want you to know just like a hazard 
all of a sudden here he is alongside of the great prophet Elisha tremendous uh, walking with the, the miracle uh, man of God the man of the hour alongside of him an associate of him and all of a sudden he does a dumb thing like this there's greed in his heart and and, and, and he and covetousness and and he has a great fall that that uh, ended his life in a tragedy you say how in the world does it happen well, I want to tell you this one thing I find out as you study the Word of God that it doesn't just happen like that it doesn't just happen like that in other words, there is a process that takes place. I've mentioned it a few Sundays ago. I preached on a Sunday night, and I told you that there's no blowouts in God. You know what a blowout is? A blowout is, you know what a blowout is. You're in your car, and you're driving. Whoosh, and all of a sudden, you hear a big one. Pow! And then you look at your tire. Your tire that was fine all the way. And all of a sudden, it's a big blowout. Had a blowout. There are no spiritual blowouts. You know what they really are? Spiritual leaks. There's a leaking, a leaking, leaking process that takes place. Just like you this morning here. You may look good. You're here and you're nice tie and you look holy and you sing holy and you have the religious jargon and you look like a saint of God, holy, that you got fire coming out of your fingers. But who knows? Who knows? Who knows whether there's a spiritual leak that has taken place right there? A spiritual leak. You know what a spiritual leak is? When you begin to compromise. It's called that creeping compromise. Now as we look at Gehazi, we look at that and we say, wait a minute, this man couldn't have just couldn't have happened overnight. We've got to look at him. Let's study him. And then we go back and we take a look. And that's what I want to do this morning. In just a few moments, I want to trace some of the areas that we see that he begins to, he, some, he, he, he begins to fail in some particular areas. That process that started taking place within his life that utterly ended into a disaster and it ended into total failure. I want us, us to take a look at it this, this morning. And I want us, first of all, to take a look at 2 Kings chapter 4. Are you still with me? So you got to concentrate. Somebody not concentrate, hit him, man, on the side and say, concentrate. Hit him with your elbow. 2 Kings chapter 4. Let's look at verse 18. Now, let me give you the background of, of background of verse 18. This is the first incident that I believe we have here that we begin to see that Gehazi has a problem. You see? He's developing a problem. And let me just give you the story before verse 18 of chapter 4. There was a woman that was called a Shunammite woman. Shunammite, the Shunammite. This woman was a woman that... Uh, Elijah, Elisha, when he came by and he traveled, she would take him and she had, she was a woman full of hospitality. She would receive him and always take care of him and she, he would stay at her house when he passed by on his journey. And then she was so blessed by Elisha, the prophet, that she went ahead and she made a special room for him, an upstairs chambers. 
And she told Elisha, anytime you're passing by, you, this is your house, and I want you to stay here. And she put some furniture for him, and she treated him real well with beautiful hospitality. And Elisha says, you know what? He said, I want to bless this woman. This woman has been so good to us that I want to re- bless her in return. And he asked, he asked Gehazi, what do you think that this woman would want? How could I bless her? What could I do in return? And then Gehazi told him, well, she wants a son, and she hasn't had a son, and her desire is to have a son, have a child. So then that's the desires of her heart. So Elisha went, and he says, okay, so be it. And he went over to her, and he prophesied, you shall have a son. God is going to bless you with a son. So she went ahead, and she had a son. The Lord blessed her with a son. And all of a sudden now, that that son is a, is a promised child. That son is a, a, a blessing to her, an answer to prayer. And all of a sudden, the child grows up. And when he grows up, he's out in the field, and he gets sick, and he dies. And that confused her. So now she sets out. She says, I got to find the man of God. And she said, this is my promised son. And this is a blessing that God gave me. And I know God is not going to take it away. So I'm going to get a hold of the prophet. And I'm going to bring him. And I'm sure that he's going to pray for him. And he's going to raise him from the dead. So she sets out to get a hold of the prophet. This is what we're going to be dealing with. Take a look at this now. It says in, uh, in verse 18. And when the child was grown, it fell on the day that he went out to his father to the reapers. And he said unto his father, my head, my head. And he said to the lad, carry him to the mother. And when he had taken him and brought him to the mother, he sat on her knees till noon and died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God. She actually took him over to Elisha's room and laid him on Elisha's bed. And then it says, and, uh, and shut the door. And then she went out. And she called unto her husband, verse 22, and sent and said, send me, I pray thee, one of the young men and one of the asses, that I may run to the man of God and come again. And he said, wherefore wilt thou go to him? And then in verse 24, then she saddled an ass and said to the servant, drive and go forward, slack not thy riding for me, except I bid thee. Now notice in verse 25, so she went and came unto the man of God to Mount Carmel, and it came to pass when the man of God saw her afar off, that he said to who? Say it. Say it again. His what? Behold, yonder is the Shunammite woman. And then in verse 26, he says, Run now, I pray thee, to meet her and say unto her, Is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with thy child? And then she answered, It is well. I want you to notice something. Here we have an indication. Here's the first indication that we have that something was wrong with Gehazi. We are able to see the spiritual leak within his life. I want you to notice, first of all, that this woman, she was out of desperation coming to the prophet. He saw her from far. I want you to see the picture. And then he noticed something's wrong with her. Gehazi... Go find out what's wrong with her. He goes up to the, Gehazi goes up to the woman, and he begins to inquire, is there anything wrong? Is there anything, he covered every area. Is there anything wrong with your husband? No. Is there anything wrong with you? No. Is there anything wrong with your child? She even lied and said, no, all is well. 
In other words, she didn't want anything to do with Gehazi. And this is an indication right here that something, the first indication that something is very wrong. I mean, she was so determined that she didn't want anything to do with him that she even lied to him and told him, everything is well. Just get out of my way and let me go to the prophet of God. And then she goes on. And then another indication in the same, in the same, in the same passage is this. And then uh, it says over here in, 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 uh, in verse 26, Run now, I pray thee, to meet her and say unto her. Okay, and then it says in verse 27, And when she came to the man of God to the hill, that means uh, Elisha, she caught him by the feet. Notice the difference how she reacted with Elisha and how she reacted with Gehazi. As soon as she seen uh, uh, Elisha, she got him by the feet. But Gehazi, listen to what he did. What did Gehazi do? Read it with me. But what? But Gehazi came near to what? Thrust her away. And then the man of God said, let her alone. For her soul is vexed with her, and the Lord has hid it from me and has not told me. Here you see another indication. He was insensitive. Insensitive to the woman's need. Woman is coming. Elisha recognizes there's something serious. There's a problem with her. There's a spiritual problem. There's a need within her life. He recognizes the need, Elisha. But Gehazi couldn't recognize the need and much care much less even care about it he wasn't at all sensitive to the need within this woman's life this is why this woman didn't want anything to do with him and said step aside I don't want to talk to you I want to go directly to the man of God insensitivity not only insensitivity but also possessiveness as well thrusting her away is possessiveness you don't see me you don't see nobody get over here selfish person is a person that's away from God I don't care who we are, who you are. I don't care how good you think you are. You get away from God, you become selfish, you become self-centered. You don't care about anybody else. You may talk about love, but you don't know what love really is. True love and sensitivity is when you are close to God. This is what David had. This is why David, in spite of all his mistakes, you see, God loved David. He said, David is a man after my very own heart. Why? Because David was sensitive. David would be broken. This is why brokenness is so important. Listen, when was the last time you cried at the altar? When was the last time the Holy Spirit came upon you and broke you? Maybe your heart has become hard like a stone. The more you separate yourself from God, the more you're isolated from God, the harder you become, the more insensitive you become. And if you're insensitive towards God, then you'll also be insensitive towards people as well. And this man, somehow, he was losing. You can see that he was losing that first love. That sensitivity wasn't there no more. He looked at people and like a problem. Get out of the way. Couldn't it? And people have a tendency to recognize. Believe me, you're not going to fool nobody. Even the friends that you hang around with. You think they're your friends. If they know that you're not spiritual, I'll guarantee it, when they have a spiritual problem, they're not going to be looking for you. They don't care how close you are to them 
and how much of a friend you are. When they have a real serious spiritual problem, they're going to be looking for a woman of God, a man of God, that is able to be in contact, that is sensitive to their needs. So the very first thing was this person was insensitive. Let me just throw this out too. In ministry, we deal with a lot of problems. You know how we, deal, we continue to be sensitive? I deal with problems every day. You, be, you know there's something, if I'm not plugged in with God, I mean, I become insensitive. I don't want to hear nothing. I don't even want to hear your problems. Get away, man. I don't want to hear nothing. You know, I got my own problems. That's the way you feel. I got my own problems. But when you're close to God, and you're praying and seeking God, you have room for everybody. Something about it. You have room for everybody. You develop the heart of God. And that's what this man was lacking. He had a problem. That's the first problem that we see first problem and it's an inner problem it's a problem sometimes that we're not even aware of and sometimes you get away with it for a while you see but there's a slow spiritual leak that is taking place within your life you're declining spiritually and the end result is a result of spiritual failure this was the very beginning okay number one number two what else what other indication do we have and then we're going to finish we're going to just two more and we'll finish the next one was, you find it in verse 29. All of a sudden, you know, uh, it's funny the way Elisha didn't give up on him. You know, he should have fired him right there, right? Should have got rid of him. Elisha didn't give up on him. In fact, in verse 29 it says, And then he said to Gehazi, Gird up thy loins and take my staff in thy hand and go thy way. If thou meet any man, salute him not. If any salute thee, answer him not again. And lay my staff upon the face of the child. And the mother of the child said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And he arose and followed her. You hear what the, what the woman said? Here, uh, Elisha is being patient with his associate, with his disciple, and he gives him another chance. He says, Here, take the staff, and I'm sending you on another, another assignment. I want you to go, and I want you to take the staff and lay it on him. I want you to raise him from the dead. You've seen me raise a whole lot of people from the dead. I want you to go and work a miracle. And then he says, go with, he told the woman, go with him. You know what the woman said? No way. I'm not going with this man anywhere. As long as you live and as long as God lives, I'm not going with this man anywhere. No way. I am sticking with you and I won't leave you until you go. So Gehazi went on his own, you know. And I think this woman knew what she was talking about. What did Gehazi do? Gehazi went, and in verse 31, and then Gehazi pressed on before them. He went on his own with the staff, you know. He had his little title of minister. Now, I'm a minister. I'm ordained now. You know, I graduated from Bible school now. I'm a home Bible study leader now. I have my badge of authority. All right? He went with the staff in his hand. And then he laid the staff on the face of the child in verse 31. But there was nothing, neither a voice nor hearing. And wherefore he went again to meet him. And he went back to Elisha. And he said to him, the child has not awakened. You came back. I did everything you told me to do. 
but nothing happened. I can imagine the woman saying, I told you so. See the problem that he had, the second problem that he had? Even though he had a title, even though, even though you may be called a Christian, do you have the power? Do you have the power? You may have the name, but do you have the power? See what I'm talking about? This guy, he didn't have no power. When it came time to demonstrate the power, he had no power. And then he came back and he couldn't do it. Again, he was defeated. And then Elisha went. Look at the difference with Elisha. Elisha didn't follow any, any format or anything. Elisha knew exactly what to do because he was in tune with God. And then it says in verse 32, And when Elisha was coming to the house, behold, the child was dead and laid upon his bed. And he went in therefore and shut the door upon them, the two of them, and began to pray. You notice what he did? He didn't follow any for, uh, formula or anything like that or any ritual or ceremony. He got, he got a hold of God. He knew his God. He knew how to pray. He knew how to get a hold of God. He knew how to connect with the God of miracles. And he shut the door and started getting a hold of God. And then it says over there, and he went up and laid upon the child and put his mouth upon his mouth and his eyes upon his eyes and his hands upon his hands. And he stretched himself upon the child and the flesh of the child waxed warm. And then he returned and walked in the house to and fro and went up. Look at all everything he's doing. He goes up and, to, and then he sneezes. The child sneezes seven times and the child opens up his eyes. And then in verse 36, and he calls, then he calls Gehazi. Gehazi, get over here now. And then Gehazi looks, you know, probably checking it out. I wonder what happened. The child is, is risen from the dead. Call the Shunammite. And so he called her, and when she was come in unto him, he said, Take up thy son. And then she went in and fell at his feet and bowed herself to the ground and took up the son, and then she went out. She was so grateful. She went and she bowed to the ground out of gratitude and said, oh, my son that was dead is made alive again. The prophet of God once again brought blessing to her because he was connected with the living God. See, see how important it is? See how something was, you see, it doesn't happen overnight. That account that took place when he takes Naaman's money, it didn't happen overnight. There was a process. And that's the way it happens. And then the final one I'll give you is found in verse 38. Oh, God is so merciful. Elisha was still merciful. You know what? If it would have been anybody else, you would have got rid of this guy, man. You know what Elisha did? He said, okay, I'm going to put you in another assignment, Gehazi. And this is what he does in verse 38. And Elisha came again to Gilgal, and there was a drought in the land, and the sons of the prophets were sitting before him, and he said to his, to who? His servant, who? Say it with me. He said to who? Say it louder. Tell that person next to you to say it. Say it again. All right. Set on the great pot. In other words, he tells them, make a, a pottage for the sons of the prophets. So he's telling them, I want you to make a pottage for the sons of the prophets. They've all come. And then in verse 39, it says, and one went. That one is who? And who? Say his name. And who? Went out into the field to gather herbs. And he found a wild vine and gathered thereof wild gourds. 
his lap full and came and made the pottage for they knew them not. In other words, here's what he did. He went out and because of negligence, this guy was all messed up. Tells him, make some food for these sons of the prophets or these disciples that we have. Give him that assignment. He goes out real sloppy, real neglectful, in a neglectful way, went ahead and got poisonous gourds and brought him back. You know what he did? He actually poisoned all of them. He went ahead and made some pottage that was poisoned, and it was just about, they were, he actually poisoned all of them. And this is to what they said. And it says in verse 40, So they poured out of the men to eat. Then he gave all of them to eat. And it came to pass, as they were eating of the pottage, that one of them cried out, Oh, thou man of God, I got a stomach ache. There's poison in here. What does he say? There's death in the pot. And they could not eat thereof. One of them cried out. I can imagine he must have, his stomach, you know, they must have started getting pains and started crying out. My God, Gehazi has poisoned us. And then the prophet had to come again. Oh, then they cried out to the man of God. Elisha, come and help us. This man is poisoning us. Your associate is poisoning us. And then it says, but he said, then, Gehe then Elisha has to come and fix things again. And he bring the meal, and he cast it into the pot, and he said, pour out the, for the people. And then finally he fixed it all up, and then he gave it to the people. He said, it's okay now, it's cured now, now go ahead and go ahead and eat it. So again, we find that Gehazi had some problems. He was negligent. And I want to tell you this. Let me tell you this, and li listen to this. If you are negligent in your spiritual life, you'll be negligent with everything that you do for God. It shows up. You'll be negligent in your church attendance. You'll be negligent. If, this is why ministry is so important to be spiritual. People that are not spiritual, people that their spiritual life is not right, they have a whole lot of other problems and complications. And they can't be on time. If they're musicians, they won't be faithful as a musician. If they're in the choir, they won't be faithful in the choir. If they're church members, they won't be faithful in attending the church. If they're involved in a small group, they won't be faithful in that small group. They will be inconsistent in everything. And the reason for their inconsistency is because they have a spiritual problem. They're inconsistent in their giving in their tithing, in their offerings, in everything that they do, they're inconsistent because it's a real spiritual problem. And this in inconsistency in Gehazi points out to something more serious than just poisoning those people. It points out to a spiritual problem that he had within his life. And finally, that spiritual problem surfaced with the incident of Naaman. Finally, he was so corrupt inside that he was greedy. He was lustful. And he went after the money. And because of that, finally, because of that spiritual leak that started with a spiritual leak taking place in his life, the end result was final spiritual failure. Spiritual disaster that took place 
the very leprosy of name and came upon him, the judgment of God finally came upon him. Now I'll tell you this. Listen to me very carefully as we, Tommy, get into that, that organ over there. But listen to me very carefully. I, this is a serious message. I'll tell you, God is not mocked. Now, we like to hear messages with goosebumps in our backs, and we preach them here, too. About blessings, and God wants to bless you. But at the same time, I want you to know that God is a God of judgment. God is a God of judgment. And tonight, I want you, this morning, I want you to do this. I'm going to ask you this morning to examine yourself. In fact, that's why the Bible says, let a man examine himself. And this way he judges himself and he has not need of judgment. If there's areas in your life that are not right with God, there's a spiritual leak. Believe me, if those areas that God has been pointing out within your life, you don't deal with them this morning, you don't deal with them, eventually those seemingly little areas will destroy you. They will eventually destroy you. That little compromising here, that little compromising there will actually destroy you. This is a warning that we have, an admonishment that we have this morning, that even though God loves us, there's still, there's the laws of God. Just like we have the laws of nature, you break those things, there are consequences. And this morning, the Lord is calling you to come. Listen, let's examine ourselves. Let's come to him this morning. Say, oh God, there's an area. You lost your first love. He's a forgiving God. He's a merciful God. Just like Gehazi had all, he had all the chances. He had all the opportunities. But nevertheless, he didn't recognize his need. And this morning, I, I urge you, I plead with you to recognize that area in your life and the Holy Spirit is pinpointing some areas then come, come, come this morning and turn over your life to God listen to me you do not have to live a boring Christianity you don't have to continue to live insensitive and not have any feelings as you come here you can't wait for time to get out of this place because you're not connected with God you could say this morning, I'm tired of this dead Christianity that I'm living. And I want to plug in with God. I want the fire of God within my life. I want to consecrate. I want to be a vessel of honor. I want to be a good influence. I want to be that, that person, that example that God wants me to be. You could do something about that this morning. And I'm going to ask you from all over this place, I'm going to ask you if the Holy Spirit is dealing with you, I'm going to ask you to run to this altar and say, God, I won't wait any longer. I'm going to come and dedicate my life before anything happens. I want to dedicate my life to you. Come on, stand from all over this place and come to this altar this morning and turn it over. Let the Holy Spirit break you. Say, God, I'm so cold. I'm so lukewarm. I'm so insensitive. I need your touch in my life. Glory to God. Come quickly this morning. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Come on, everybody, stand and sing it together. Let's make room in the altars. Let's make room. Thank you. 
has encouraged you to grow in your walk with God. To hear more messages, visit www.visionintlstore.com. Thank you for listening. God bless you.